But again, good to see everybody. Uh, let's open our Bible to the... I want to open to a special verse today to start. Let's look at... Let's look at Isaiah chapter 63 to begin. We will not stay very long, but uh, just to just to kind of start and uh, as we continue our study. Can anybody tell me, does anybody, uh, does anybody remember what we studied last week? What was the subject matter that we're looking at in our study here recently, especially last week? Can anybody tell me that? I don't expect David to know and I don't expect Mrs. Myers to know, but... And our visitors, I don't expect you to know. What's that? Afflictions. She is, look, she's an A student. You get an A for the, a for the day, all right? We studied afflictions last week, and we, uh, we've been doing a study before we get into the actual, uh, deep into the text of Psalm 119, which is where our study is. We have been doing uh, a major themes study of Psalm 119. We've looked at delighting in God's Word. We've looked at, um, we've looked at other uh, important uh, major themes that are in Psalm 119. And last week we started on afflictions. Lord willing, we're going to uh, conclude that uh, this morning. Uh, Psalm 119 has a lot of verses, some 20, 25 verses that deal with affliction in some uh, way, fashion, or form. And last week we talked about, uh, we looked at the book of Job, uh, the book of John, the book of 1 Peter, uh, talking about the fact of the afflictions of the righteous. In other words, and, and I'll refer back to this in just a minute, but we looked at the, the reality that there is a, a subtle but nefarious idea that floats around uh, Christian circles and not just among charismatic circles, but Christian circles generally, even among churches like ours, that teaches, does anybody remember this principle, this idea, doctrine, that's, that's kind of taught, even if it's not taught ostensibly, but maybe implicitly, what is that doctrine that, that I mentioned? Yes, sir. If you're exactly. If you're saved and you're living for God, then you're not going to have to worry about afflictions. And the, the reverse to that is this idea that if I have afflictions that come upon me, some sort of trouble or distress in my life, it is therefore a result of some sin in my life. Now, that can certainly be possible, as we'll see today, but it's not always the case. Sometimes afflictions are not caused by any particular sin, any certain sin in our lives. Uh, sometimes there's other reasons for that. So... This, this little nefarious idea that if, if I live for the Lord, then the Lord is going to ensure and guarantee that I'm going to be free of afflictions. And that's just simply untrue. So there is the fact of the affliction of the righteous. And then we saw how that affliction does, does, should not cause us to forsake God's law. The psalmist refers to his afflictions and says, But I did not, do not forget thy law. And then we saw that afflictions, the afflictions of the righteous, are a sure, and this is a, one of those paradoxes we've looked at so many times, the afflictions of the righteous are a sure sign of the grace of God in our lives. 
are a sure sign of the grace of God in our lives. Now, let's pray, and then uh, I'll read Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 63, and verse number, I said Isaiah 63, let me see, here we go. Let me make sure I get the right verse so I don't tell you correct. Isaiah 63, oh, I'm looking at 62, no wonder it's not making sense, right? All right, Isaiah 63, verse 9. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at Isaiah 63. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, thank you for everyone that's here today. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that, Lord, that you send afflictions in our lives. Afflictions are not always pleasant. In fact, they're never pleasant. Uh, But, Lord, by faith, we thank you for them because we know that, first, you are, rule our lives. You are the, the Lord of, of our lives. You overrule everything that happens, and, and you use evil for good in us. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's set their heart uh, to seek you this morning, whether uh, present with us or, or whether listening. Uh, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. I ask you that your spirit would uh, walk in and out among us and teach us the things we need to know. Lord, I confess that I can't help your people. Your word is the only source of help and comfort uh, and uh, truth. So, Lord, as we look into it, let us focus. Help us, Lord, to focus our mind and heart upon the text of Scripture that we can uh, get the benefit that you have uh, planned for us. And, uh, Lord, please deepen our understanding of what you're doing in our lives, and of your very character. We ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 63, verse 9, just as a, as a side note, as we think about afflictions, we know that God, I don't, I don't very often use the term sovereign because that is one of the most abused terms in theology. But, the, but there, is a, there is a reality that God is overruling what happens in our lives. And the Lord either allows or actively brings upon us things according to His, according to his will. And He doesn't ask us, right? Mrs. Myers, has, has God ever asked you whether you want a certain affliction before He gives it to you? No. Yeah, yeah He already knows our answer. And sometimes when I pray, I think even this morning I was praying, I was thinking about the, this subject, and I was praying, and I was like, well, Lord, you know I do you know, I don't want affliction, and none of us do. It's inherently painful and unpleasant. But the Lord rules over us, and, and that, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And if you have a tyrant ruling over you, that's a bad thing. But with the Lord, you don't have a tyrant. How do we know that? Look at Isaiah 63 and verse number 9. The Lord's speaking of, the, of His relationship to Israel. Here's what He says. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. It's, it reminds me of that saying that parents often tell their children before they exercise the rod. This is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. I don't know if that's exactly true in every case, but, um, but it does say here that in all their affliction, he was afflicted. We do not, we do not have a tyrant ruling over us. 
We have a God who is moved with the afflictions that we endure, even the affliction that He brings in our lives. So, the Lord is good to us. Now, going back to our song here, listen to this. And this was my third point, that I, or fourth point that I mentioned last week, which is this. The afflictions of the righteous are sanctified. The afflictions of the righteous are sanctified. Listen to these words in How From a Foundation. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee thy trials to bless. Now think about this. And sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. What does that mean? Thy deepest distress. Affliction, trouble, trial, right? The Lord says, and this, is, this song, of course, is reflecting this truth, that the Lord will take affliction, pain, suffering, trial, even at times chastening and correction He gives us, and will sanctify it. So it's when something is sanctified, I'm getting off track here, but I'll get back in a minute. When something is sanctified, it's taken from a what we call a profane use. That is a, a use, a, a normal kind of, you might say, secular use. And it's dedicated for God's use. That's the idea of sanctifying. You're setting it aside for a specific use, for the Lord's use in this case. Um, for instance, you know, sometimes when I'm doing work on this uh, on some of these lights, you know, we have to buy tools and such like that. And that's kind of the way I think about it. When I go buy a tool and I buy it for the church's use, it's, it's sanctified. It's no longer my tool for my use willy-nilly. I can't just come in here and take it and go do, do whatever with it. No, we set it aside for the use of the church. And I know that's a pretty poor example, but the idea is in our distress and affliction, what, listen now, whatever the cause, Whatever the reason, the Lord, it is not just simply an affliction that happens upon us. No, 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 no. It is overruled by our Lord, and it's sanctified, set aside to us for good in His will, in His plan. And it says, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee. Now listen to this. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So God has a greater purpose to work in us. Now, let's continue in our study here. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 119 and verse number 67. And then hold your place there and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So turn, if you would, turn to Psalm 119 verse 67. And then also hold, hold your place there and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now what we're talking about is this principle in which God takes... Affliction. God takes suffering. God takes evil that happens, happens to our lives. And listen, if we look at the events, the evil events in our lives, or even the good events in our lives, without the eye of faith. In other words, if we look at them without faith, without the, the, the cognizance and the consciousness that God is overruling in our lives, you know what we tend to do? 
When the good happens into our, in our lives, we tend to forget that God is the designer of that. And therefore, we don't give Him thanks. Right? And then when the evil happens in our life, we think God is not in control of it. God is not overruling it. And so we don't see it as a sanctified event. If, I mean, if I can use that terminology. It's just, you know, we, we view it essentially as an atheist. We view it essentially as an atheist. And that's not the right way to view it. Not for you and not for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Look at what it says. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now this is the key in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the view of the Christian upon the affliction. That's the word is used in verse number 17, light affliction. This is the view of the Christian that the Christian should have of his own affliction. Now, to the world, the world focuses solely upon, upon what is temporal, what is temporary, what is carnal, what is upon earth, and what is visible. That's all the world sees. So this idea that evil can come upon us but because God is overruling it, God can use the evil and the affliction and the, the distress in our life for good to bring forth eternal benefit, spiritual benefit, lasting benefit in our relationship to God. That principle is just is of no account to the world. They do not care about that. The only thing that this world cares about is temporary uh, uh, pleasure, prosperity, abundance, and fulfillment of, of the desires of the flesh. That's all the world is concerned with. So what I'm trying to show you is there is a clear distinction, a clear, uh, uh, a clear difference in the philosophy of life. One is built upon faith in God's, God's uh, rule in our life and oversight of our life, and one is built upon nothing but the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. To them, to the world, spiritual and eternal benefit means nothing. It is worthless. They only care about the, what is fleshly and temporal. If you look down at the verse we just looked at, look what it says in verse number 17. For our light affliction, notice the words, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. What does that tell you? That means the affliction does us good. Right? Is that, is that what it says? That which is evil, we view as evil, I view as evil, you view as evil, does us good. And this is exactly what Psalm 119 teaches. So let's look at Psalm 119 and verse number 67. I read a quote that I thought was good. It says this by a man named William Seeker, found in the uh, Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. I'm sorry, in the uh, Treasury of David by Spurgeon. He said this, 
There are some things good but not pleasant, as sorrow and affliction. Does anybody consider sorrow and affliction pleasant? No. No. Sin is pleasant but unprofitable. And sorrow is profitable but unpleasant. thought it was an interesting way to put it. Psalm 60, uh, 119, verse 60, starting 65, just kind of get this, uh, this section here. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. Notice he says, Lord, you've been good to me. You've done well with me. In other words, the way that you've ruled my life has been good. Verse 65. Verse 66. It's what we've studied before in our major theme study. Remember? Teach me. All right? So we're asking God to teach us. You know, since, since we went over that in, in our study, I sure hope that you've taken some time, at least, at least some time, before you, you went into a place where you're going to study God's Word or read God's Word or hear God's Word, that you've taken at least some time to say, Lord, teach me. Teach me thy commandments. But sometimes when we say teach me, the next thing that follows is verse 67. Because sometimes the Lord teaches us the truths in His Word in a practical way through what's in verse 67. Look at what it says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Here you have the relationship between affliction, pain and suffering. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute because I want to, give, I want to get real specific on what we're talking about here. But it says, before I do that, look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. So you have this, before I was afflicted. So let me ask you, what was happening in the psalmist's life before he was afflicted? Think now. That's correct. But as far as the events of his life, what? Before he was afflicted, things were good? Exactly. You see, before he was afflicted, before we're afflicted, we're not afflicted, right? So we're, we're, everything's, good, everything's going, going well. We've got enough money in the bank. We're well in body. The family's doing well. There's success. There's prosperity. That's what's in the first four words. Before I was afflicted. That's where, where it is. And this, this tells us a principle. This teaches us a fundamental principle about us, about you, about me. It is this. Prosperity is often a temptation to wander from God. It is just a fact of human nature. When things are well, that natural tendency that all of us have to wander from God. Why are we called sheep? <laughs> Absent the shepherd, sheep wandered. This is why, one of the reasons why God compares his people to sheep, both Israel and the church. It's because we all have a tendency to wander from God. And the greatest, one of the greatest temptations to wander from God happens when things are going well. Beware. Just Quickly, in your mind, survey your, your Christian walk real quick. How many of you have experienced, ha have had this experience in which maybe you came through a difficult time, you got relief from that, 
things started to go well again, and all of a sudden your guard went down, and things that should have been important started to slack because things went well. How many of you can kind of relate to that, to that reality? That is a fact. That is a fact. Prosperity tempts us to wander from God. Hold your place here and look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 really quick. Look at Israel as an example of this. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7. Now the Lord, remember Deuteronomy, means second law. It's a reference to the, the recounting of Moses right before the children of Israel, he dies and they go into the, the, the Canaan. He's recounting all that God has done with him. Okay? And in verse number 8, oftentimes what's interesting about Deuteronomy, side note, is that Deuteronomy often gives the spiritual application of many of the events that are in Exodus. Because Moses is interpreting those events as far as their relationship with the Lord. All right, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 says this, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. Now notice the, notice the, notice the descriptions. A good land. A land of brooks of water. Remember where they've been in the wilderness where there's no water. Of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. There'll be plenty. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou, hills thou mayest dig brass. And when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Stop right there. Would you consider this description to be a description of prosperity that God has promised them? Remember, they haven't gone into the land. They're right now, they're actually, they're actually on right on the, the east side of the Jordan River at this point. They've started to taste some of the good things because they're in the land of Bashan, right? But they've just come out of the wilderness. They've known scarcity and lack. They've known hunger and thirst. They've known pain and suffering and heat. They've known walking in their clothes, their, their clothes and their shoes and God promising to keep, keep their, their clothes and their shoes for all the traveling. And now God is saying, in just a little bit, you're about to experience prosperity. You're going to have abundance. And he says this, verse 11, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, prosperity, success, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold be, is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied three times, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you see this principle? Prosper the Lord is telling them in advance, beware. Because this is your tendency. This is your uh, habit. And this is mine as well. When things are going well, which is the opposite of affliction, we tend to wander from God. 
how this terribly reveals our nature. And you know what? If there was no influence of God's grace in our lives, we would wander. You do, listen, you and I do not need to delude and deceive ourselves into thinking that we are good people. We are not. Just a little bit of relief and comfort and prosperity and money in the bank and things going well, almost immediately the temptation is for us to just slack. That's why the Lord warns us in advance. And this is also why He brings affliction in our lives. And this is why I say that affliction is sanctified to us as a mark of God's grace in our lives. Right? Because God, hear me now, and we're, I'm going to hit this again and I want to make sure it's clear. God does not want us to wander. I'm going to flip this off because it's blowing in the mic. That's okay. Then you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 where we are. Look at verse 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. What is he talking about? Verse 3. Or even go back to verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep the, his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. That means they didn't have food. He had to provide it day by day. There was no, listen, there was no comfort of knowing there would be food tomorrow, except by God's word. Which thou knewest not, neither thy fathers know, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. This is affliction, lack, heat, exhaustion. No comfort, no assurance of future provision except the Lord provide. In other words, there was no comfort physically in the flesh. And yet the Lord said, why did he do it? Why did he do it? Verse 3, look what it says. Right in the middle of the verse, that he might make thee know. You know what he's doing? He's teaching them. Right? That he might make thee know. This is why God sent them through the wilderness. There are other reasons, but this is one of the main reasons. God used the affliction of the wilderness to teach them. To obey his commandments. All right, if you would go back to Psalm 119, verse 67. Now, the interesting thing about this, this principle of prosperity and our response to it and affliction and our response to it is that oftentimes the prosperity that comes into our lives is given to us by God himself. And yet that very prosperity is the cause for us to wander. Now that doesn't mean God wants us to wander, but it reveals our nature. 
There, are, Listen, there are a few things that will help you more than understanding your own nature. Why do you think that's, you know, what, what does the Bible teach us? You know, the Bible teaches us in broad terms, what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us who God is, and it teaches us who we are. <laughs> because those two questions are questions that mankind struggles with. You know, nowadays, everybody thinks in the world, the view of God is, uh, there are many views of God, but if you, if you look at the view of man according to the world, the philosophy of what, who mankind is, mankind is basically good. They just need education, and that's not true. You see, what God says about us is wildly different than what the world says about us, and that affects the way that we live our life. Now, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. So you have the wandering of the Christian because of prosperity, before affliction. And then the Lord brings the affliction. You know, okay, now you have the, you have the sheep now who is wandering. He's, he's far off from the Lord now, the shepherd. He's, he's out in a place he shouldn't be. He has already strayed. And so you know what the Lord does to bring him back? He brings affliction. We might say chastening. He brings correction. He brings correction. Now I want to read you something here. Josh, on my desk back there, there's a sheet I forgot to bring out right in front of the monitor there. Bring it to me. So here's what I want you to understand is sometimes the Lord brings affliction in our life and its design is to correct us. In other words, what I mean by that is we have strayed, we have sinned, we have done that which displeases Him. And He brings this affliction in our life. Because, as one writer puts it, and I thought this was good, he says, because of the affliction, the corrective affliction in our life that God brings into it, He says, some error is corrected. Some evil habit is changed. Some mode of life not consistent with religion is forsaken. Pride is humbled. The heart is quickened in duty. Habits of prayer are resumed or formed. The the affections are fixed on a better world. The soul is made more gentle, calm, humble, spiritual, pure. He says, afflictions are among the most precious means of grace. So that's what God does. God sees that we're wandering, and as a result of that, He brings afflictions into our life in many, very, in many ways to correct us back, to, to bring us back to where we should be. And if you, think about your, if you think about yourself and your life, you will have to agree that when those afflictions come into your life, all of a sudden, the things you've been doing start to change. You know why? Because afflictions produce in us introspection, self-analysis. We start looking at ourselves, okay, what's wrong? What's happening? Why is this happening? The pain and the suffering awaken our minds and awaken our hearts. And, and the deceptions that we've been believing for so long start to get shaken up. And we start to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, what have you been doing? And you know what? It affects the afflictions that come into our life, affect, begin to affect what we do. Many, many, many a Christian who strayed from God 
renewed their prayer life as a direct result of affliction. Right? Many Christians, and I am one of them, as a direct result of affliction, has, has made a course correction because I saw the Lord is, is intervening in my life because I am not where I should be. And that was all because of affliction. Listen to this, written by a man named Thomas Washburn. This is great. It's, called, it's a poem, and it's called Affliction Brings Man Home. Listen to these words. Man like a silly sheep doth often stray, not knowing his, of his way. Blind deserts and the wilderness of sin he daily travels in. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing will reduce him sooner than afflictions to his pen. He wanders in the sunshine, but in rain and stormy weather hastens home again. Isn't that true? We start to feel that tinge of pain to the believer now, not to the unbeliever, to the believer, that tinge of pain of sorrow and suffering turns us to God. Thou, the great shepherd of my soul, O keep me, thy unworthy sheep from, from, from gadding. Or if fair means uh, will not do it, let foul then bring me to it. Rather than I should perish in my error, Lord, bring me back with terror. Stop there. If you are wandering away from God, and the only solution the Lord could, 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 could uh, produce to bring you back to Him was terror, would it be better to experience the terror and be brought back to Him? Or would it be better to have ease and still wander? What do you think? Now, you know the right answer. I know the right answer. It would be better, whatever is necessary, to bring me back. That's better. But sometimes in our heart of hearts, that's not what we want. Lord, I'm content to be over here. Just don't bring anything bad in my life. And the Lord says, I'm not answering that prayer. He says, Rather than I should perish in my error, Lord, bring me back with terror, lest I, uh, better, better I be chastised with thy rod and shepherd's staff than stray from thee, my God. Though for the present stripes do grieve me sore, at last they profit more and make me to observe thy word, which I neglect formerly. Let me come home rather by, by weeping cross than still be at a loss. For health I'd rather take a bitter pill than eating sweet meats to be always ill. Look at verse 71 if you would. So verse 67 deals primarily with corrective affliction. Look at 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Affliction in this case is not necessarily because we have strayed, but because the Lord has a lesson He wants us to teach. He brings affliction into our life because, because even though the lesson is the same, the way we receive it is different when we're afflicted. As I said before, afflictions open our hearts, our, our ears and our hearts to the Lord and to His Word. It puts us in a place of soul searching 
a frame of mind that is able to receive the Lord's lesson. Now, affliction can be many things. You think about, of course, whether it be corrective or instructive. You might categorize it like that. You know, affliction might come from pain and suffering in the body. It might come from a bad diagnosis, right? Affliction might come from marital problems. It might come from family problems. Affliction might come from problems relating to your finances. It might come from in the form of a letter from the IRS that was unexpected. Afflictions might come from uh, trouble between the siblings. It might come from your child being ill. Afflictions might come from the direct result of your sin. There are many sources of afflictions. But the issue here is, is in verse 71, it says, that I might learn thy statutes. You see that? The Lord has to turn our heart and mind on to learn a lesson. For instance, I'll give you an example. I've done this, so I, I, I can testify. I have a word, right? I've got a word. You know, when I was little, I put my hand on a stove. Now, my parents could have told me, it was one of those electric stoves. My parents could have told me, Adam, the stove is black. It's not red. It's not glowing hot. It's black, but it's still hot. Don't touch it. That's what the Lord does to us in his word. He tells us these things over and over and over, right? He tells us these things. You know what? Some lessons we only learn the hard way. And so you know what I did? I looked at the stove. I remember this clearly because it was a painful lesson. And it was black. And so I said, I wonder if it's hot. I already knew the answer. You know what I did? I put my hand on the hot the, the, the eye of the stove. And you know what? It was hot. It had just been turned off. It burnt my hand badly. And I had to sleep that night with my hand in a, in a, in a bowl of ice water. But you know what? The affliction caused me to learn a lesson that I did not forget. Because... The affliction is what changed me. The lesson's the same. Don't touch a hot stove. But the affliction changed me so that that lesson I could receive and permanently understand. In, the, in verse 71, he says, it is good. As I said last week, it's hard to say that in the moment. It's hard to say it is good when you're going through affliction. This is retrospectively. He's saying, it is good, what? That I have been. That's called, that's called present perfect. In other words, the affliction's already passed. And so I look back and I say, it is good. It is good. And so this tells us that the temporary pain and the affliction is worth the benefit. Any, listen to me now, and we're, we're almost finished. Any affliction that brings us closer to God, that teaches us to obey Him, that humbles us or deepens our relationship with God is ultimately good. And there should never be a time that we, and I, I'm talking to myself as well, should look at this affliction and say, Lord, 
I know that through this evil and affliction and sorrow and pain, I will be drawn closer to you. I'll be better. I'll be benefited. But Lord, I don't want that. I just don't want the pain. The, the Lord overrules us and says, you don't know what you're talking about. The Lord looks at the eternal and the spiritual benefit. The world doesn't care anything about that. The Lord looks at the eternal and the spiritual benefit to us, keeping His commandments, loving Him, following Him, and how that affects us. And He says, the pain is worth it. And so He sends us through it. And at the other side, when all the smoke is cleared and we realize the benefit, we say with the Lord, it's good. It is good that I have been afflicted. There is no case in which our temporal comfort... Listen now. There is no case in which our temporal comfort is of greater value and importance than our spiritual well-being. God's purpose in affliction proves this. Learning God's statutes and, and commandments is of greater worth than avoiding the pain, and God knows best. And sometimes that's a hard truth to really get a hold of because we sometimes have the tendency, like the world, to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. At all costs. I don't care if my relationship with God will be better in the end. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. And the Lord says, hold on there. That's not the right view. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that we should throw ourselves into pain and suffering. No, 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 no. But this is how God is working in our lives so that we can say in the end, it is good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So how is your, how do you view your afflictions? We know sometimes People harm us, and we didn't do anything to them, and they harm us. People sin against us. We are victims. We are innocent parties. Even that, God will use even those afflictions to do us good in His grace and in His providence. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing uh, ability that God has to take evil and make it good for us. Let's pray together.